said, okay, what's involved with that? She said, I'm going to take this little swab right here on a stick about this long, little Q-tip end of it. She said, I'm going to put it up your nostril, and uh, it's going to sting a little bit. I said, okay. Well, that was the understatement of the decade. Dude, I was fighting back. I felt like I was going to cry right there in the office. She put that thing up there and turned and was grinding around, pulled that thing out, and I asked her, I said, ma'am, I said, were you after mucus or brain tissue? Oh, it hurt so bad. I mean, it, it was rough. And so I know that, you know, this is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. It may not. I've already been through. But um, as we, we walk through this morning, this is a very personal, uh, can be a very challenging passage for us as we look at this part of John 19. But before we get there, I want to set the backdrop with two other passages of Scripture. In Revelation 3, John is writing to the seven churches. One of the churches is the church at Laodicea, all right? And you know that a church is people right? We're in a building. The church of Mount Pleasant Baptist is sitting right here in the pews looking at me, all right? And it's me talking to you. We are the church. So when John is writing his letter to the church at Laodicea, he's writing to people. And this is Jesus speaking to his church. And here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 15. Jesus says, I know your works. He's talking about actions, deeds, their obedience to him as their Savior, as their Lord who instructs them and, and has a call upon their life. He says to them, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I think I had a misspelling there, it's hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And the word for spit you out of my mouth, the spit there, is the word for vomit. Jesus says to this church, to these people, I wish that you were either cold, cold meaning he wished they were unbelievers and just would acknowledge that they're not believers so they would see their need for Christ. Or he says, I really prefer that you would be hot, totally devoted, committed, sold out, surrendered to him. But he says, you're not hot nor cold, you're lukewarm and I want to spit you out of my mouth. It makes me sick, you're professing me with your mouth but not living out your faith and obedience to me in your actions. Told you this would hurt a little bit. And here's what Jesus said to them in verse 17. For you say, this is what they were saying, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You see, they were claiming their prosperity as the blessing in the hand of God upon them. Look at what God has done, how he's blessed us with all of this stuff. We don't need anything because God has blessed us in so many ways. But Jesus says, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Those are all descriptors of unsaved individuals in the Bible. So Jesus says, you say, look at how God has blessed us because you have all of this prosperity and things around you, but you're really lost and living apart from Christ. You see, they thought, well, since we're a part of the church and since good things have happened to us, then we're really Jesus' followers. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Like he says in Matthew 25, that people would stand before him one day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things, these signs, these wonders? We did these miracles, these workings in your name. And then Jesus will say to them, what? Depart from me. I knew you not. I mean, think about that. Jesus said that some of his followers would stand before him and say they did miracles and signs and wonders in his name. And he'll say, depart from me. I knew you not. Think about the state of the American church today and our 
lethargy, our laziness, our apathy toward the things of Christ, toward living our lives in surrender and obedience to him. How many people think the the pinnacle, the grand call of Jesus in their life is to simply come and sit in church for an hour a week? And they're in great standing. They're in a great place with Jesus because they come to church for an hour a week. Jesus said people would stand before him saying, we did these signs and wonders and miracles in your name. And Jesus was going to say to them, depart from me, I knew you not. If those individuals did those things apart from Christ, what does that say about many, many people in the American church today? And Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 had some words for the disciples. And when you look at the progression of Matthew 10, the beginning of Matthew 10, Jesus, we we get a listing of the 12 disciples. Then Jesus says to the disciples, I want you to go out two by two, go and preach and tell people the good news of the gospel. And here's what's going to happen. As you go, you're going to experience persecution. People are going to reject you. They're not going to want to hear it. They're going to persecute you, be antagonistic toward you, not show you favor, not show you blessings. And to encourage the disciples when they experience that, Jesus says these words in verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Now listen to what, this is the command for Jesus and the disciples. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but, ca- but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to teach you. And what I say to you in the dark, you are to go forth and share in the light. And what I whisper to you, I want you to stand up and publicly proclaim from a rooftop. There is an instruction, an expectation from Jesus that he will speak to us. He will guide us. He will give us a mission. And we are to go and live out that mission, to be obedient to that call in a public way. We say, but if I do that, people will hurt me. He says, so what? What's the worst they're going to do, kill you? He says, don't be afraid of those who can only kill the body but can't do anything to your soul because when your body's dead, you will be united with Christ, even if your death was brought upon by your obedience to Christ. And you give your life as a martyr. Don't fear those, but rather fear the one who can destroy both your body and soul in hell. Don't be an unbeliever who's saying you're a believer but you're truly not. That's the one that you should fear. Is my life surrendered? Do I truly know Christ and am I living in obedience to his call and his demands upon my life? Well, he goes on to say this, to let the disciples know how uh, important they are to God, but also how how many details, how much God knows about what's gonna happen in their lives. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So God knows the birds and he knows when the birds die. He says, God's keeping up. He knows what's happening with the birds. He goes on and says this, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And that's a declining population for some of you. So we understand that, but God can do the math on how many, you know, you maybe have lost this last week. He says, even the hairs of your head are numbered. He says, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So Jesus is saying, 
God knows. And if you're persecuted and if you're rejected and if you suffer because of him, he knows. He's got it under control. He's watching over you. And sometimes God will supernaturally rescue you and deliver you from death and from persecution and from hardship and from suffering. But sometimes God will take you into those things, suffering, hardship, persecution, and even to death. But in that, God still brings glory to himself. And he wraps up with his disciples saying this, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus isn't saying here that we're Christ followers. We profess him and we're seeking to obey him and live in obedience to his call upon our lives. And we're in a situation We're in circumstances and we're given an opportunity to stand up and profess Christ and share him with someone and we don't do it. Or we, uh, in a moment of anger and in a moment of frustration, will sin in some way that God, when we sin, we didn't acknowledge God before men because of our sin and because of our denial that God goes, all right, my heavenly racer out, you're out of the Lamb's book of life, buddy. You're you know, you blew your chance right there because you denied me. No, no, no. Jesus is talking to the disciples. Remember what happened with the disciples? Judas didn't truly believe. He professed and gave the outward demonstration, but wasn't a true believer. He was cast away. The other 11 were with Christ until the garden. And what happened then? Did they stand and uh, stand firm and, and really were there, were there with Christ? And, and you know, we're going to get them. We're going to storm the gates of hell. Uh, yeah, no. What'd they do? They fled ran off into the bushes, into the hills, into the darkness to hide when Jesus was arrested. Did he give up on them, wash his hands of them, can't do anything with these guys, they all abandoned me now? No. They returned, they got back together, the Holy Spirit came, and these men then lived in obedience to Christ. When the religious leader said, stop preaching the gospel, they said, we must obey God rather than men. When the political leaders told them, stop uh, preaching the gospel because you're messing with our silversmith and you're messing with our, our systems and our philosophers here in this city, they kept preaching and they wound up in prison and they were beaten and they were stoned, the old-fashioned form of stoning. They, they were stoned for that and they were, uh, they were tortured in, in lots of ways. They suffered because they refused to stop talking And sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. So you're like, does this have anything to do with John 19 where Jesus just died last week? But flip over there. Here's what I want you to see in John 19. And the real powerful part of this story and this account related to Jesus' death right before his resurrection is where these two men have come from and what they actually do, which which reveals where their faith was in Jesus' message and his teachings. John chapter 19, verse 38. After these things, these things meaning the death of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. 
So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So we have this account of these two men who, if you had asked them, would say, yes, we believe in Jesus. They were believers. But they also would be kind of what we might term silent witnesses. They believed, but were very quiet, very reserved, very fearful is the word of letting people know that they believed in Jesus. Now, why would they be that way? Well, they had a few things to lose. They were both members of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council. And so for those individuals to know that they believed in Jesus, when everyone else was rejecting him, they would have lost their position in that group. They were both wealthy. Joseph had purchased a tomb here close to uh, where Jesus was crucified, which was in the city area, lots of traffic. You, you know, property in city areas is pretty expensive. And so uh, he, had, he was very wealthy in that. Nicodemus brought 75 pounds worth of spices. That's not cheap, all right, for him to have brought all of this. So they both were, were, were individuals of wealth. Uh, it's believed that Joseph uh, was probably a, a prominent businessman was where his wealth came from because he had political connections. Remember it said that he sent word to Pilate to get the body of Jesus. Pilate had had it up to here with the religious leaders, remember, because they were the ones who put him in the spot of having to kill a man that he knew to be innocent. And so the fact that Joseph had the connection here to be able to send to Pilate message and get the body of Jesus uh, indicates that he had this political connection with him. John tells us that Nicodemus, and you go back to John chapter 3, if you want to go read that account, came to Jesus at night because he didn't want to be identified. He didn't want people to know that he was talking to Jesus for fear of what would happen, the repercussions with the Sanhedrin. So it's interesting that these two men, after Jesus is dead, finally step forward and let the world know that they're believers. There was no benefit for them to do that at this point. You know, a lot of people wanted to come and be close to Jesus while he was still alive because he could perform a miracle. He may pronounce a special blessing. He may do something uh, to show you favor in some way. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus while he was alive, but people scattered at his death, except for these two men who finally stepped forward to be identified with Jesus. Kind of doesn't make sense coming now. Not only are they stepping forward to be identified with him for what they would lose, but they are going to touch a dead body. And in Jewish society, if you were a, a religious person, touching a dead body made you unclean and you had to spend several days going through the laws and the certain systems to be made clean again, they were going to miss the Passover celebration. The grandest celebration of the Jewish calendar year was Passover. They were going to miss it because they had now touched a dead body. So why now? Why step forward, nothing to gain, everything to lose? Well, here's what I want you to see from these men stepping forth. We see and begin to understand this truth and this principle. Authentic believers will demonstrate their devotion to Jesus Christ. Authentic believers will demonstrate their devotion to Jesus Christ. These men were believers, and as God worked in their heart, Situations, circumstances changed. 
they knew they had the opportunity, the means, and felt the call of God to go and respond in obedience to the belief that had been in their hearts all along. Now, as I say that principle, some people are like, yes, this is exciting because he's going to now tell us that what we as the church ought to do is we've got to be out, we've got to be involved in culture, we've got to get out, we've got to start, you know, campaigning and starting, you know, petitions, and we've got to do all these things to get laws changed, we've got to go to our government, we've got to get all this changed so that our country goes back to being a Christian nation and so that morality and public policy and all these sort of things reflect what the Bible teaches. You're like, yes, I've been waiting for this message for such a a long time because, man, we got to do it. We got to get out there. We got to be involved. We got to stand up for Jesus because we've been silent for too long. Well, I'm going to burst your bubble this morning because that's not what I'm challenging us to do at all because that's not what the Bible teaches that we are called to do. Think about Joseph and Nicodemus. They missed their opportunities to impact public opinion about Jesus. Luke chapter 23 tells us that Joseph didn't agree with the decision of the Sanhedrin to have Jesus executed, but he didn't say anything. He didn't stand up and and be counted and bang his fist and say, no, we're not going to do this. Nicodemus had been the silent believer by night. These two guys didn't follow that plan, that methodology. But I wonder how many Christians think And I believe mistakenly that if we just got the laws in our land to reflect what the Bible teaches, if we could just do away and and have laws and regulations that are actually enforced against things in our nation, you know, let's talk about drugs and let's talk about, you know, pornography. And if we could, you know, just defend the traditional marriage view and not have to even hear about the, you know, all that's going on in the, the public realm and the courts was homosexuality and you can't even watch the Olympics now because it's a social agenda with that. And so if we could just not even have to talk about it and we had things that protected what we see as the biblical definition and view of that. And if we took care of prostitution and if we got Roe v. Wade changed and we're protecting the unborn life and if we could get rid of bad language and if we could clean up TV, if we could just do this to where the world around us reflected my views or the biblical worldview, it'd be a great place to live in America again. We would be a Christian nation once again and we would have scored the victory. No, we won't. Because I'm going to tell you, just to remind and jog your memory, that a lot of the laws that we have in our land already do reflect biblical teachings. I think, if my research is correct, all 50 states say that it is illegal to murder someone, to take the life of another human being. All 50 states that we live in. But you know what happens every year in every state in our nation? People kill other people. Go figure. We have laws against it. Well, we're not following the laws. There's the issue. It's a heart issue. And remember, the very reason that Jesus is hanging on the cross and died so that Joseph and Nicodemus even needed to come and take his body to the tomb is that Jesus rejected the political, the societal effort at establishing religion as a state religion, as a governmental agency. The Jews were expecting the Messiah to come. And when the Messiah came, he was going to give them political power and dominance and prominence. They were going to be top dogs in the world. 
and what they would say would go. So Jesus came and evidenced himself as the Messiah, affirmed that he was the Messiah, yet when Jesus didn't establish the political system that they wanted, what did they do to him? They executed him. He died like a common criminal. Jesus did not come to establish a state religion, to change government and establish rules and regulations that people would follow. Jesus came to rule and reign in our hearts individually. And then he called us to live out our personal relationship with Jesus Christ in every realm, in every area, and in every forum that God leads us into. If we want to see the country change, it doesn't start with the legislation and the laws. It starts in the heart of people. When people are surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. And church, that puts the onus, the responsibility on us as believers, as Christ followers, to go forth and share the good news of Jesus Christ. But you see, we've slipped, I fear, into the mindset of the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3. We're so blessed. We've been prospered. Look at all that God has done. And we speak of these things, but we don't evidence it in our lives for the world to see. Do you recognize that you know, all those things I went through a few minutes ago, we could change every law, every policy. We could really enforce and govern those things. And we could design, quote unquote, a Christian utopia where everything reflects biblical worldviews and biblical values that you and I might hold to. We could have all of those things in place and people would still die and go to hell apart from Jesus Christ. Because we can't legislate their morality. We can't force salvation. It's a decision of their heart that comes as they're exposed to the gospel message of Jesus Christ through his followers sharing that good news with them. I I think I sit back and I wonder, and I do believe that it's important for the church and this cause in particular because it's it's the voice of the defenseless uh, in abortion to protect the rights of the unborn. They can't speak for themselves, okay? Many things in the world that people do today, man, they got a choice, they got an opportunity, they can rationalize, they can do that. But I think it's important that we, we stand for, we defend the cause of the unborn. I believe that's a charge that's given to us to protect life in that way because they don't have a defender. They can't speak for themselves. But church, if we go and we're able to see legislation enacted to protect that, we're like, yes, we won the victory. The laws allow them to be born. And then we sit around on our blessed assurance while those new babies, millions of them every year, grow into childhood, to teenagers, into adults, and don't share the good news of Christ with them. We brought them into this world only to send them out apart from Jesus Christ. Did we make a difference for Jesus in doing that? It's that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is what motivates us to do that. And when I look at Joseph and Nicodemus, my challenge for you this morning is to realize, and these men were scared to death. They sat back. They believed in Jesus. They would have told you that in the silence. They didn't step forth. They weren't publicly identified until the time came. The circumstances were different. They said, you know what? I don't care what it costs me. I believe in him and I believe in what he did. I believe in what he taught and I'm going to go and I'm going to show myself as being one of his followers. And so church, I wanna ask you, 
pretty pointedly this morning. Has that time come in your life? Are you, have you been standing with Christ, standing for Christ, for the world to see, for the world to hear, for the world to know that you are unashamed and unafraid to say, I know Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus and I'm trying to live my life in obedience to him. Have you arrived at that point in your life? And if not, a couple things. One, what is the fear that's holding you back from living publicly and outwardly for Jesus? Hey, Joseph and Nicodemus, they were afraid. They were scaredy cats. Let's just call it what it is. And I just told you all that they had to lose. What is it that causes us to not live boldly, to not share unapologetically what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives? What are we afraid of? What will people think about me? What will people say to other people about me? They'll talk about me and call me this and say that because maybe you've seen them do that with other people. You see, our fear is what people will think and what people will say. Maybe, I don't know, maybe your fear is physical repercussions. Maybe you're in an environment, a place that I have nothing about where, that I know nothing of, that you would actually suffer physical harm for sharing or living out Christ in some way. It's possible that those are there. What is that fear? That's what I want you to ask yourself. And I want you to ask yourself today, but I want you to think about that as you go throughout this week and God opens doors and opportunities for you to, to share Christ and to, to stand with him as Joseph and Nicodemus did. And you don't do it, you pull back and you're like, oh, is it a workplace culture or environment? Is it a peer situation? I, I don't know. I really want you to pray through and ask God to help you discern what is the fear element that's keeping you from living for him. And then ask this question as well. Are these things really things that can harm us and hinder us? Or are these just things that we've imagined in our minds? I mean, mean, is it a legitimate fear? Do we really have to be as silent as we are because of things around us or have we just believed in ourselves and fear that things will happen as a result of this? Is it legitimate or is it all in our head? Do we really have these limitations that are put upon us? Do you know where one of the most strong healthy and fastest growing movements of the church of Jesus Christ is located in the world today. China. China. Let's talk about Christian nation and let's talk about China. You know, the reason that I say we think that it's growing strong and healthy there, we don't really know for sure is because their government doesn't let anyone in, doesn't talk about the fact that there are even Christians in their nation. They don't want Christianity that are there. They're antagonistic to it. They persecute believers. 
Read of a missionary who went to China. Uh, is meeting and is talking with believers who are there. And this one young man stands up and he's just all fired up about Jesus and telling all that he's going to do and how he's going to live for him. He's going to be faithful and obedient and God's going to do great and awesome and wonderful things. The interpreter is interpreting all of it. And the missionary is like, man, this guy is great. This is awesome stuff. He's right. And the, the interpreter, when the guy finishes and sits down and says, don't believe a word he says. He's like, what? He says, don't believe a word he says. He said, well, why not? He said, because that young man, he said, he does love Jesus. And I really do think he's going to do great things for him one day. But he hasn't been to prison yet. He said, once he goes to prison and has a chance to really stand up for Christ and, and be counted with him, then he'll be ready to start doing the things he's talking about now. And this missionary began to interview more and more believers in this persecuted country. And he kept hearing story after story of believers who said, yeah, I went to prison one time, two times, three times, was in there for months, for years sometimes, these prisoners going in. And it's just a matter of fact, they're just talking about when they went to prison. It's part of their story and their journey. But he said he noticed as he was talking to the younger believers who were there, these younger believers would very often say, when I go to prison, when I go to prison, I'm going to do this. When I go to prison, here's what I think Jesus will, will help me be able to do. When I go to prison and I suffer, here's how I want to live out my life and my faith for people to see. He noticed that they weren't saying if I go to prison, but they were all saying when I go to prison. They were expecting and anticipating that they were going to suffer in that way. That's in communist China. Communist China. That's what the church is doing. Think about free America and what's the church doing? What's the difference? It's the individual sold out passion to live in obedience and full surrender to Jesus Christ. That's the difference. You know, all these things that we fear in the world, are they really there or are they just things that we put upon ourselves? I mean, just think about it. And this is what I want you to begin thinking about. This is kind of the, the take home. This is where you to start putting this into practice. How can you... And in the environments and the circles of influence as the places God has put you begin to live out and demonstrate and share with people like Joseph and Nicodemus be identified with Jesus. How can you begin to do that? One, I would encourage you in this. We've talked about this for weeks. Begin praying for people around you. Pray for your neighbors. Not pray that they would be annoying and, you know, that they would turn to be good neighbors, but just pray that God would give you an opportunity to share Christ with your neighbors. Begin praying for your coworkers. This is part of our one challenge this year of inviting one friend, relative, acquaintance, neighbor, coworker to church with you, praying for them. But then can you take it a step further and actually let your coworkers know that you are praying for them? Oh, what do my supervisor think when he hears that I'm praying for him? He might think it's a good thing. He might appreciate that somebody's concerned about him to, to pray for him or that would say, hey, I pray for you regularly. Is there anything specific I can pray about, for, pray about you for this week? Business owners, what opportunities do you have to be a witness in your business platform, the business that you own for Christ? I've known Christian business owners, some who've said, oh, I'm, I'm, and I can't really do anything with that because if I start, you know, leaning into my faith a whole lot, I'll lose customers. And I've known others who said, you know what? God has blessed me and brought me to this place and I want to do everything I can to honor him. And so they give out devotionals 
we, we've got business owners, people that, uh, that work in businesses that carry around a stack of cards for our church with our church times and locations and website and all that. And they, as they meet people and have interactions, they give those out. Hey, if you're looking for a church, you're new to the area, whatever here, and they give those out. They're, they're, they're very open about that. They put Bible verses on their, on their signs and on their business cards and their literature and stuff. They're very open about their faith and their faith is part of the values that they have. And so as you know, people say, well, I can't do that in my business, it'll suffer. You know, I think about in our society, I'm so thankful that we have a Chick-fil-A, you know, to be able to look at the legacy and what they do. Did you see they made the news again this week? They're always out there stirring stuff up. This last week when they had the ice in Atlanta, they gave away free food to stranded motorists. Terrible, terrible thing, you know, that they're doing as a business to help people. And they opened up their restaurants and people came and stayed overnight and they made them breakfast. Oh, those awful people who are, because they're Christians, who are helping other people. Terrible, terrible things, right? No, it's, it, it's wonderful that we see that in businesses and God blesses those things. Just to, this has nothing to do with the message part, just to throw in. We went this last week to the new one that opened and we're sitting there uh, having, t- the owner came by. So we're sitting talking with him, kind of making introductions. And my youngest had been in the playland. He comes running back. He's all, you know, sweaty from being in there. He grabs his drink, pulls the lid off and to the owner of the restaurant, cause he's wearing, he says, can you get me a refill? I about died. Like, no! It's like, Daniel, that's the owner, you know. But he was gracious and, hey, it's what we do. And he had, somebody came and did that, so it was taken care of. But, you know, but we see these things. What opportunities do we have in the circles and the places we are to just stand and be identified with Jesus Christ? To just stand up for him. And this is what we've been discussing as a church, and it just kind of builds on the challenge for us to be establishing relationships individually, which means that we as a church are establishing relationships in our community. I believe the church should be the most generous, giving, servant-minded organization in a community. When you look at the book of Acts, you see that Philip was speaking. It says people listened to what Philip had to say because they saw the signs and the wonders of the church and the community and it brought them joy. Does our church bring joy to the community because of how we serve and how we help and how we minister and how we meet needs in the community we live in? In the book of Acts, Tabitha, a believer, had died. People were weeping. They're so sad. They were saddened because this believer who gave of herself, who served other people, who was generous, was gone. She was no longer there to meet needs. And I asked this question last year. If our church were gone tomorrow, would our community miss us? Would they know that we're not here? And it's, we've been seeking to serve and build relationships in this way. God has opened doors for us to do that in our food pantry and with our parks and rec department and giving us chances to come and serve in our school systems and say, hey, how can we help you guys do what you're doing? And God is, is giving us opportunities in that. And we want to continue doing that because that's what Jesus has called us to do, is to serve other people just like he served other people. So I have to ask you, are you standing and being counted with Jesus Christ? And if you're not, say, oh, I know that there's more I could do. What does that look like for you? Don't say that, oh, I know there's more that I could do, and I'm going to try and figure something out this week. Think of one, two, three specific things that you can begin to do. What were the specific things that Joseph and Nicodemus did to be identified with Jesus? They came and prepared his body for burial, which reminds me of the second and last thing. Even the weakest belief is strengthened through obedience. 
Even the weakest belief is strengthened strengthened through obedience. Joseph and Nicodemus came and prepared Jesus' body for burial. Do you know why they wrapped spices around the body? Let's just cut to the chase here. They put all these spices on the body. The Jewish people didn't embalm their bodies. The spices were there to cover the stink. That's exactly what it was for. As the body decayed and rotted, they put as many spices as they could to keep the odor down. Why did Joseph and Nicodemus prepare Jesus' body with 75 pounds of spices? This is an amount that was saved for kings, for politicians, for wealthy individuals. Why put all of that stuff on a guy who's only going to be dead for three days? What a waste. Well, what a mistake, what a miss on their part that Jesus didn't need that. Jesus had told his disciples, he had told all of his followers that he was going to rise from the dead. This was going to be the proof. It was going to be God's stamp that this is my son, this is my power that's available. Here's what he will do if you will believe. They had believed, but they hadn't got that part of the message. So their, their belief was weak. It was misguided. They came and prepared Jesus' body for burial because he was gone. They thought he was gone for good. But their weak faith was strengthened through their obedience. They came and prepared the body. They took and they put it in the tomb. The women followed them to the tomb. They knew where it was at. There were eyewitnesses that Jesus was the right tomb. All of this plays into verifying that Jesus truly resurrected from the dead, but it was their weak faith. They were weak They didn't believe it. They didn't understand it, but they stepped out in obedience and said, we're going to do what we can do. And God took and God blessed that. God brought glory to himself. God revealed himself, displayed his power through that. And God will do that for you as well. As you step out in obedience and say, okay, uh, this makes me nervous. I've never really done this. I'm kind of worried. What's it going to be like? What will be the response to it? But I'm going to step out in obedience and I'm going to do it and I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to see what God does. You know what God's going to do? God's going to display his power. God's going to be true to his word. God will bless your obedience in some way. He will do it if we take that step of obedience to him. And I know this isn't easy. Someone was talking with me and they said, okay, this whole Fran and Frank challenge, you got us praying for men and women that we know. We're trying to invite them to church and build a relationship to be able to share Christ Makes me nervous, I don't do it well, but I've been praying for somebody. And last week, wouldn't you know, I happened to be alone with this person. Wouldn't you know, how's that work out? I'm praying that God will open a door and then God gives you the chance, the opportunity where in the break room, it's just you and them. Yes. So they said, I was nervous. I was really scared about this. I said, my mouth was dry, my palms were sweaty. I said, just lick your palms. That, that's... Just kidding, no doubt. They said, I, I was nervous, but I finally was like, okay. So I took a deep breath, began to talk, and told them a little bit about church and asked if they went anywhere. They said they didn't. I said, hey, why don't you come to church with me sometime? I told them a little bit about the church. And you know what? They said they might come next week. I'm like, yes! Victory, that's taking a step of faith. That's being obedient. That's God blessing that. And they were doing so well telling me that their friend was coming and they were so excited and I was really with them. And then they said, so make sure you preach a good sermon next week. <laughs> oh, so don't do that. It's bad enough anyway without that on there, you know. 
And then somebody else, they're, they're, you, you guys are doing this like, hey, I'm praying for people. I'm inviting somebody. Said, but look, you know, they, they said they're out of town for the next few weeks. And so it, it may be March before they get here. I said, what are you preaching on? Please let me know the week you're preaching on money because we don't want them to come that week. Zip it, you know. But see, this is that small step of obedience, that, that, that weak faith, that weak belief. Oh, I'm not sure I can do it. Just take that step of obedience and God will strengthen that faith. And I believe that God will do that in your life individually. In church, we're seeing God begin to do that corporately in our congregation. And it's so exciting how Jesus is being true to his word and true to our obedience of taking steps to serve other people. I want to close. I was reading, about a, a reading from a pastor who was um, just sharing a lot of the things that, that, that I've been talking about in, in being in the community and serving other individuals and uh, just how important it is for the church to be a good neighbor, to be a good partner with organizations and groups that are serving and giving back to the community. And this pastor's church, had God just opened up tremendous doors, just seeing great things, planting churches and just so many opportunities to share Christ, people coming to Christ and uh, impacting students in the local schools. And he said he was invited to a Martin Luther King Jr. civic rally. The, all the city was there, you know, on this day and different leaders and, and politicians and uh, uh, persons in the city were giving speeches and they'd invited him to come and speak as a pastor of a local church. And he was like, dude, I was scared to death. His own, he said, I was as scared as Joel Osteen at a Together for the Gospel convention. You know, he was, he was nervous, all right? And he said, because I'm a pastor at the, with all this civic thing, with all these, you know, individuals around. And so he, he's there and he, he's, he could tell he's visibly nervous. The mayor came up to him and said, are you nervous? He said, I'm scared to death. And the mayor looked at him and said, do you want me to tell you why you're here? He said, I sure wish somebody would tell me why I'm here. <laughs> and I want to read what the mayor said to him. He said, everywhere in our city, we find a need. We also find people from your church meeting that need. We couldn't think of anyone to better embody the spirit of brotherly love in our city than you, the pastor from your church. Church, that's a church that's living out individually, which then lives out corporately, the radical generosity the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ in their lives individually and in their church corporately. And so my challenge for you today is very simple. Will you, like Joseph and Nicodemus, take a step of faith to be identified, to stand for Jesus Christ? Don't know what that looks like for you, but that's my challenge. Will you take that step of faith and obedience to stand up and be counted with and for Jesus Christ. Let's pray.